Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. And welcome to Secure the Insecure. This is the podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Seifert, and every week I'm joined by one very special guest. At just 22 years old, my guest this week is already a reality TV institution. Starting his media career as part of The Apprentice as the youngest ever contestant, he then signed up to be part of the most recent series of Celebs Go Dating. Known for being outspoken as part of the debates on GMB, GB News and Talk TV and saying what he really thinks, I'm delighted that he joins me on Security and Security this week to get behind the infamous dash in his name. It's the one and only Ryan Mark Parsons. Hello, Ryan Mark. Hello, Johnny. Enchanté. Let's mm. go back to the life of Ryan Dash Mark because you're only 22 years old. Yes. And so you were born in the 21st century. Yes, I was. In the year 2000. Yeah, 2000. You can't see this, but I'm showing Johnny a tattoo. And I have the little 2000 tattoo on my wrist. What, in case you forget what year you were born? In, in case I ever forget, yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to forget because, look, 2022, I'm 22. I could never really forget, but yeah. That was my first little tattoo ever. Uh, so, you, so, obviously, you've been to the O2 Arena, but you never went to the Millennium Dome when it was the Millennium Dome. No, never. Do you know what Blockbusters is? Yes, I do. I have fond memories of uh, Blockbusters. What about Woolworths? Yes, I think I went to Woolworths twice before it closed down. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Until I realised I was too above it. It's like a B and M. No, I. You know what? Actually, I've never been to B and M. Ever. Never in my life. Never been to B and M. Home bargains. So I met a friend called Nikita on Celebs Go Dating. She's from Married at First Sight, and she's obsessed with these places. B and M, Home bargains, blah blah blah. And I've never been ever. Why not? I don't know. I've never seen one in London. Number one. What do they do there, though? What's they the do chocolates and sweets, but like things you can't get in the normal superstores because right. it's like different dairy milks or BNBNs or weird flavours of things. It's quite cool. Okay. And it's very cheap. Well, she keeps telling me when I'm in Sunderland, we're going to go to B&M and we're going to have pretty much a full day there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that whenever that happens. Have you ever been to an Aldi? No, I've been to Lidl, though. You've been to Lidl? We'll I be bought in Lidl. I think I bought water. How did you find your little experience? I didn't enjoy it. Because? The people. What about them? Noisy. Smelly. <laughs> Dirty. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? No, it was just... I don't know. I'm a bit snobby when it comes to supermarkets. 
I love the way it shows experience or MS. It just has that je ne sais quoi that you don't get at the other supermarkets. So when I go to Waitrose, I feel zen, I feel relaxed. It's where I'm most at peace. But what about the prices, though? It's not that much of a difference, honestly. Compared so, to Tesco, what, like 20p? Would you go to Tesco's? I would go to Tesco, yeah, I have been to Tesco. Morrison's? I have been to Morrison's. Asda? I have been to Asda when I was in Sunderland. Sainsbury's? Yeah, I've been to Sainsbury's. Okay, but your normal food shop's in a Waitrose. Waitrose, M&S. I prefer M&S food because I love M&S food. You know their own brand. Yeah. Love that stuff. But yeah, if I could choose, always Waitrose. And never an Audi or a Lidl? No, not unless it's an emergency. What would count as an emergency to buy from Audi? Starvation. I'm about to collapse. Anything like that in that genre, in that category. Right, let's talk about you, Rima. Let's go back mm-hmm. to the beginning. Let's go back 22 years. What was your childhood like, first of all? My childhood to, I don't know, to many people who watch me on TV, whether that's on The Apprentice or a political show, I think they have this perception that I'm very aristocratic, that I'm, I don't know, a distant relative of the royal family. But actually, it was very kind of traditional, middle class, very kind of, I'd say, standards. I'd, nothing particularly interesting, no helicopters to Monte Carlo, no super yachts, no private jets. It was just a very middle class, good foundation, really. Private school, but not the most expensive private school. £5,500 a term. Are you saying that's not expensive? Well, I that's mean... That's £17,000 a year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course, it's expensive. And I was very privileged to go to a private school. But at the same time, I have a lot of friends that went to Eton. They go to all of the top boarding schools. And that's nothing. I mean, some of my friends are paying about, well, when they went to school, 30 grand a term. That's mad. 30 grand a term. You know, some of the top boarding schools in the country, Radley, Sherburn, Eton. And when I think about them and I think about my school, I mean, they look down at my school. (laughs) (laughs) I feel a bit ashamed to say I went to that school because literally like, huh, I've never heard of it. You know what I mean? So there's a bit of internal snobbery. But um, yeah, it was pretty comfortable, just enjoyable, really. And what were the people like? Because they shaped you, as you said. Mm. They weren't the upper middle class. They were just the middle class ones. So how did that shape you as a person back then? I guess it always encouraged me to work hard. A lot of people, again, have this belief or this misconception that I'm someone who gets everything handed to me, perhaps. Yes, I got gifts when I was young, birthdays, Christmas. I was never without anything in that sense. Always had food on the table, lovely family holidays abroad, blah, blah, blah. But in terms of earning money and working for money, I've always had that instilled within me from a young age. And I think that ultimately does come from my family, that you have to work hard. You have to get up from your backside, go to work and make your own living. And as soon as I got my national insurance number at the age of 16, I applied for around 100 jobs and I got a job in a tea shop in Canary Wharf and that was my very first job at 16. It was probably two days after I turned 16. How important was it for your parents that you had that job at 16? Because of what it instilled in you, rather than the money, but actually the lessons of the value of money that you learned from that experience. 
yeah, I think it was very important for them to know that I will work hard because I guess for any parent, perhaps they're worried that maybe they do their best to bring up their child, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that they're going to lead a life that would be successful or they're going to be secure when it comes to finances, etc. So I think it was quite fulfilling for them to know that I was willing to put in the work and not sit on my ass and expect a trust fund or handouts, uh, which I would never want. And it does infuriate me, actually, because I have a lot of friends. I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad thing, but I don't respect it when they just sort of swan around West London, go to pubs, get drunk, go home, and then they're getting about £5,000 a month from their parents and they're not actually working. And I think that's just as bad as sort of claiming job seekers allowance in that regards. That's so interesting. Mm. Uh, so, so when you talk about friends, etc., how have you found having friends and making friends? Do you find it easy to make friends? I do. And I think that's one of my traits that separates me from a lot of people from my background. I'd say in terms of I've made the most bizarre friendships that you wouldn't necessarily expect. You'd probably think I have friends that speak like me, went to a similar school, similar backgrounds, blah, 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 which is the case. But also... I can be friends with someone like Nikita, who is a Geordie. She had the pretty much opposite upbringing to me, went to a state school and didn't necessarily enjoy the privileges that I enjoyed as a child. Very different circumstances, but we came together and and now we're best friends. And it's the same when I was on The Apprentice. I made a friend who's a real sort of cockney geezer. And again, no one would expect in a million years for us to collide and then to become the best of friends. And we did. So I think when it comes to me meeting people and forming connections, I do it very effortlessly because I don't judge. And I think that's one thing that I like about myself in terms of I'm never someone to hold people to account on a preconception of what they might be like based on their background. Which is very interesting because you've always had that barrier that bow that's very high and so someone like Nikita who's had to work hard who's had to do it all mm. whereas you were kind of giving it do you kind of sometimes look and go I respect you as well as being a friend of you I actually respect you because of how far you've come and actually if I was in your position I respect you because I'd have done what you've done you've done it right Nikita like I want to be like you more than you want to be like me yeah I think it does come that it does come down to that I think when you take my working mindset the fact that at a young age As soon as I got my national insurance number, I got straight into a job. I really appreciate and respect people that also share a similar hardworking mentality. And I think that's what it boils down to. Ultimately, I just love hardworking people, ambitious people. I don't really care where you come from. I don't care how you speak, what you look like. If you're willing to make money and to make a success, regardless of where you were brought up, where you went to school, if you went to university or if you didn't go to university. And that's why I love Nikita so much, because we share that hard-working mindset. And if it's Nikita or Jessica Power or Thomas Skinner or anyone really that I've made friends with from a TV show, if they're hard workers, I'll be your best friend. And Nikita and Jessica, so Nikita, for those that don't know, she was on Subscreating, last year she was on Married at First Sight UK. Jessica was on Married at First Sight Australia Season 7. So both of them come from these Married at First Sight shows. They both have OnlyFans channels. Now, one would think as a upper-class person, you'd kind of look down on that. But actually, like you said, it's still hard work to do an OnlyFans channel. The fact that you've actually got to be active on the app, you've got to be producing content, same as TikTok, 
you're a content creator. Yes, it's on OnlyFans, but you're still creating content. It's still hard work and you're still earning money from doing hard work. Yeah, exactly. And I recognize that. I see it as a part of their job. I don't really look at them and think, well, that's not a good thing to be doing. That's slightly dirty. That's promiscuous. Or I don't really think like that. I know people do. When I talk to some of my friends that tend to be slightly more snobby and I say, well, look, I'm best friends with Nikita. She's on my Instagram all the time. People I have known for years will say, why are you hanging around with her? Do you know she has this OnlyFans link in her Instagram bio? Is she, a, you know, with all due respect, they've said, is she a escort? Is she, a, you know, a, what do you call it, a prostitute? And I think that's just so harsh and you can't judge someone for doing something that's making their money. And ultimately, like I said before, that is all I care about. If you're making money, you're working hard, we'll be really, really close. And I don't care about what you do as long as, not Ill- as, long as it's not illegal. And I think a lot of people watch TV and I, could, I totally get it. I mean, you see us on television, whether it's on The Apprentice or Slips Go Dating or whatever show, and you make assumptions, you cast assertions on what this person might be like. And that's fair enough because you have nothing else to go on. You might do a bit of research outside of the TV show, clips, etc., podcasts. But ultimately, you're judging that person based on what you're seeing on TV. And when they see Nikita, they might have seen her shouting or married at first sight, getting kicked off the show. But then I got to break down those layers by getting to know her on Celebs Go Dating. And you do see a very different side. And that's what I love about TV is that you do these weird and wacky shows, you meet weird and wacky people, but then you form these very unlikely relationships and I wouldn't swap it for the world. I I love what I do and I want to keep doing it until I die. Where did that come from? Where did that urge for fame come from? Because to be a reality TV star, obviously you can get on a show and it's hard to get on a show, but you do, you get in the top 12, whatever. Mm. But you don't have to take that further. You need to get an agent. You just get a publicist. You need someone who's going to be backing you. To think that you've got a further career. Where was that moment you thought, do you know what, I want to be famous? Because there has to be fame as well as the business side. Yeah, I think you wouldn't go on The Apprentice, which is the show that I started on, without considering the fact that you're going to be on BBC One prime time for about 12 weeks with an audience of about 6 million. So that does, of course, <laughs> you know, rest on. it does rest on your mind a lot. And... I think it does come back to when I was younger. I've always enjoyed performing arts. I've always enjoyed being the centre of attention. I've always been a leader at school or doing projects outside of school. And I think that does have a correlation to being in the public eye and being regarded as a celebrity because you can always deal with the constant attention, people looking at you, judging you. And I kind of just embrace it. It's almost like water off a duck's back. When I was younger in school, I was very controversial. I mean, we might get into this a bit later, but I was always arguing with the teachers. I got excluded and I was a very, very difficult child. And I think that at a young age enabled me to deal with what I'm dealing with now in the public eye, because of course, you get an article written about you in the mail online and I've had plenty of those since The Apprentice. It's been about, what, three, four years. I must have had tens and tens and tens of articles, uh, whether it's after Good Morning Britain and I've upset half of the nation. You read about, I don't know, 500 comments and they're all slating you. It could be about your personality, the way your teeth look, the way your eyebrows are shaped, how much hair you have, how much grey hairs you have. Literally, they nitpick. It's like looking... I don't know, this microscope and you just find out all of your flaws. 
But it's never, and I say this sincerely, Johnny, it's never, ever got to me. I don't know what it is. I think it's from a young age. Like I said, I just dealt with a lot at school. But that training at school has enabled me now to sort of deal with that kind of abuse in such a effortless way. I don't like following the rules. I am very headstrong, very persistent. I can't be persuaded easily. And I think when you're put into an institution like a school and you've got teachers breathing down your neck and bearing in mind when I went to Babington House, which was the private school I went to, it was a very small school, about 300 students, including the prep school. And then you have pretty much one-on-one lessons. I remember doing A-levels and it was literally just me and one other girl. And I was doing four A-levels. And if you don't do your homework, you're sent to the headmaster. If you're failing in a certain area, they get your family to come in. It was just constant scrutiny. And even before that, when I was doing my GCSEs, there was a point where I was always very intelligent naturally. I was always getting very high grades. I had all of the badges and I was involved in the student council and every extracurricular activity you could imagine. But it was just being in a classroom and being told what to do, when to do it, homework. I couldn't handle it. So I'd argue with the teachers. I'd argue with the students. I'd cause a lot of arguments and disrupt the lessons because I wouldn't let someone tell me you have to do this or stop talking. I just didn't like that instruction. My parents were always very strict. And it could actually be be because of that, because they were very controlling and very strict. Uh, When I was very young, that I became rebellious because of that. And I used to vent by doing debating. I was always debating in terms of we had a debating society and I absolutely loved it. That's where I got most of my enjoyment from at school. Because aside from that, if I weren't debating or getting involved in the theatre productions we used to do at school, I'd absolutely despise it. I would not like going into school, apart from seeing friends, but I always saw friends outside of school anyway, so it didn't really make a difference. But actually facing the teachers and doing the work... I genuinely, genuinely dreaded it. Absolutely despised school. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because there's not just you want to be the centre of attention. It's almost like you've got this personality trait, which is negative, but is balanced out by being positive. So the negative of almost like I hate the world, Mm. but positive is that you can channel that into catharsism through debating, for example. And even your punditry that you do now. Yeah, and that's, again, thinking about what I do now... It's kind of what I was doing at school. The big difference now is that I'm not being told what to do. Yes, I have David, my manager, who's absolutely fantastic and the best manager I've ever had. And Jason as well, his son, who I've been working with as well for over a year. The difference is they work with me. And I felt whilst I was at school, I was working against the teachers and they were always breathing down my neck and hounding me. And what I love about what I do now is that I'm kind of doing the debating still. I'm going on TV or radio talking about politics or showbiz or whatever's in the news and then I'm earning money from it working with my manager to build my career and it's all very enjoyable and I'm not being told I have to do this I have to do this by this time this is when they need this to be done of course I have deadlines I work for a newspaper I have an editor so I kind of have that structure with a line manager but in the sense of what I do on tv it's all very in my control it's in my hands if I don't want to do a tv show that's down to me. David won't ever force me to do something I don't want to do. And that's what I love so much about what I do right now. There was a moment, I think, when I was growing up where it was just because I was so 
controlled and almost put on a leash and told how to dress, what to say, forced to do a lot of clubs. I'm talking about when I was very young, doing all kinds of things and I didn't necessarily want to do it. I think immediately from a very, very young age, being told what to do just made me implode. And I kind of had this destruction going on inside me where I needed to argue or debate to let it out. And I've kind of had that for, I had that for years and years and years. Very push, a very pushy family that's also been consistently ambitious and having very high expectations in terms of what they want their children to be doing. I think ultimately that's made me become very pugnacious and very argumentative. And like you said, the way that I find catharsis is through debating because I've got all of this anger inside me by being told what to do. How did your... Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sexuality linked to this because did you have mm. to suppress it at an early age and again where this anger comes from or were you quite easy and open to come out and you know what is your coming out journey because that that, yeah. that must link quite a lot to this control of I shouldn't act a certain way because like that's not the status quo of what my parents have told me yeah well actually I didn't even consider that that could even be another reason why I am the way I am but I always withheld my sexuality for a long time. I guess because, not that I care what people think, but I don't want anything external, something that I can't control, to be judged. Because I'm a bit of a control freak, and I lose my my mind when I don't have control over things. And I guess with sexuality, 
it's that one thing that I can't really control. Because I think if I had a choice, I would be straight because it's easier in the sense that I think you do have a lot of preconceptions when you are gay or transsexual or something like that, uh, bisexual, whatever you are in that spectrum, you do have people that judge you and it's just an unnecessary thing, really. I mean, if it could be avoided, I'm sure most people would want to avoid it. And I guess my coming out journey was never talking about it. And I think the only time when I started to properly discuss it was when I did a show on BBC Three called Celebrity Eating With My Ex. And that was when I openly discussed a relationship that wasn't really a relationship. It was very ambiguous, but it was televised. And of course, my family saw it. But prior to that being aired, we never really had discussions. I think there were a lot of suspicions because I never had a girlfriend. I'd never take anyone back to see my family. I was very private. But uh, once they saw that, they kind of received that affirmation of what my sexuality is. And even then, I wouldn't want to talk about it. I found it I've always found it very awkward. I don't talk about my relationships with my family. I'm very private in that regards. A lot of my close friends were talking about dating apps, who I've matched with on Raya or, you know, who I'm going out with, who they're dating. I love to hear about relationships. I'm always, I'm a bit like Hannah Williamson, actually, or Paul Brunson. I'm a bit of a expert in a weird way because I haven't had many relationships. Uh, I'm a very emotional person. I don't really sleep around like some of my friends. I'm not out there kissing everyone or entering relationships and leaving relationships. It takes a long time for me to build trust, especially now more than ever because of the position I'm in. I don't like opening up just in case someone leaks a story. So when it comes to my friends, I love talking about it. But when it comes to me, I'm pretty secretive. I don't like talking about who I've slept with or who I'm seeing right now. Yes, I might mention it, but I love to hear their stories more than mine. Okay, we're getting somewhere now. Mm. So this dash... This Ryan Dash Mark, which is your name, yes. using that metaphor of the Dash, that's the public version. That's the celebrity version. There's this other side to you then, this more Ryan Mark version without the Dash. You're exactly right in the sense that it is a bit of a character. It's like a GC. Gemma Collins yeah. versus the GC. You know you can perform with the Dash. Yeah. What's interesting about you is that when you get to your family, that's the real Ryan Mark. So how much do you like the real Ryan Mark? Well, like you said with Gemma Collins and the GC, it is it has become a bit of an alter ego ever since I started on TV about four years ago. And my friends and my family, they actually call me Ryan. So I'm not called Ryan Mark uh, at all. Everyone that is close to me just says Ryan. Or the Dashatron. I mean, you watch Slebs Go Dating, Rob Beckett kind of turned it into a bit of a brand. And he used all of these different ways to describe the Dash. And... It has evolved into this very eccentric, outspoken, controversial person, which is everything I'm about. There's nothing disingenuous about that. But when I'm not on camera, I'm with close friends, I'm with family. When Ryan is present in those situations, I'm very emotional. I open up a lot. I love hearing about my friends' problems and their struggles. and I'm always there to kind of counsel them. And that's a side that you don't necessarily see on TV. But my friends would recognise very clearly. I would say that I am very open when I'm Ryan. So when I'm with my friends, I say, I mentioned Laura Gang as an example, or Nikita. I will sit with them and candidly speak about my relationships, 
how I feel right now. I mean, I've cried in front of them many times. I was at Soho House, actually, when I left an event. I think it was last week, and I was just crying in the middle of Soho House to Laura. I was pretty drunk, so it wasn't, you know, I wasn't sober. And I was just saying how much I appreciated her as a friend, and I'm so lucky to have her in my life and all of these other people I was talking about. And that was sort of raw Ryan, where you could actually see the very vulnerable emotional side that I never publicise, I never let out on television or radio. Why not? Because it's not commercial. Doesn't matter if it's not commodity. Would you not rather have people buy into you as Ryan rather than this brand as Ryan Dashmark? Because you can do the Ryan Dashmark on Good Morning Britain, on GB News and on Talk TV. That's the older version of you. That's the mature, I can talk about politics, I can talk about COVID, etc. That's the Ryan Mark Parsons, the commentator. But you've got a massive audience where your social media following comes from, especially more to Instagram. So let's say Twitter's for your punditry. Yeah. Instagram is for your young audience who have watched you on Subscribe Dating. Do you not think they deserve to see Ryan, to trust you, the authentic you? I think that it comes... Ryan appears now and again because... Anyone who watched Slebs Go Dating, they would have seen that I had the storyline with Gregory at the end of the show. And just to summarise it briefly, he didn't turn up to the final. We had a final at the agency and I had a chat with Anna Williamson and Paul Brunson, the experts on the show, the love experts. And I broke down in tears. And I think you saw glimpses of Ryan emerge. It wasn't the full Ryan, but it was a glimpse, a little snippet of Ryan. And... I kind of like letting him out now and again from the cage, but I wouldn't let him out fully when it comes to social media, TV or radio. Well, you, I hope this is okay to say, mm. but on social media, on Instagram, for example, you have certain Instagram stories that are only for your close friends. I do. You don't just put everything out for everyone. And so I see those close friends once, and it's usually just you taking a selfie. <laughs> is you, or it's you like taking a blurry selfie at that. Yeah. So there is that line there. Of the Ryan versus the Ryan Mark. So why don't you want that Ryan to come out more? That blurred... Why don't you want your fans to see that blurred picture of you? Because I know why people follow me. I mean, people follow me for the comedic Ryan Dash Mark. It's the controversial, extravagant, going to all of these press nights and launch parties and having fun with celebrity friends and the rest of it. I mean, that's why they follow me. If they want to follow Ryan, I don't know if they'd be as interested because there's... A lot of people that are quite emotional. I mean, I don't want to make a sort of... I don't want to confuse anyone here. Ryan Mark is still me. It's not an act. It's not a sort of... I'm not performing as a character. It's still a part of me, but it's more evident when I do stuff in the public eye and when I'm on social media. Right, and it's interesting because you get like a Stephen Bartlett, for example... Mm. who will put amazing inspirational quotes up. But that's not the real him. People aren't following him for him. They're following it for the quotes. Yeah. And so there's that very weird line of, what are you following me on social media for? What is that commodity you're after? I would say a lot of my followers, because they come from TV, they are used to seeing Ryan Dash Mark. So I want to give them that, because otherwise, if I show them someone else they haven't seen before on TV in terms of a particular side of my personality, I'm kind of scared that they would unfollow. So I do see social media as work because, number one, I get paid for a lot of social media that I do. And then the brands that I work with expect a certain type of person. So when they book me, 
if I'm working with Boohoo or other brands, I recently did a Boohoo campaign, they want the Ryan Dash mark to be present because that's what they saw on Celebs Go Dating and the people that book me for these campaigns, they want what they see on TV. So I do really see social media as an extension of what I do. I'm not an influencer by career, by trade, but I do recognise I earn a lot of money from social media. I need to live up to those expectations. So I don't enjoy social media. I don't actually enjoy it at all. That was my next question. Do you enjoy it? No, well, I don't enjoy one. it. Let's talk subscription. You brought it up. You performed. You were on Mark. There's uh, Stephen Bear a couple of years ago, and then there's you. It got to a point on subscription that it wasn't working, and they basically just said, "Look, your time at the agency is over." That was from Anna and Paul. What about the producers? How did they find you? <laughs> the producers, I think, really liked me. I still speak to the producers now. We had a great relationship. There were times where I was planning on doing things. Some people listening now might remember one of the dates. I think his name was Callum from Barbados. And I was so sick and tired of him. He was so nice and saccharine. I couldn't stand this him. This spa man where you wrote the letter? Yeah, so I decided to write the letter. But my original plan was to go to a waiter at the restaurant, give the waiter the letter with a sparkler, and I wanted the waiter to deliver it to Callum and I would have exited via the back door. And when I told the exec, they said, absolutely not allowed. Because, of course, they care so much about welfare nowadays and that's such a big thing. So I kind of revised it and instead I actually hand-delivered the letter... Oh, how good of you. ...to Callum. <laughs> Just to soften the blow and then I ran out of the door in quite a dramatic way. So, yeah, there were times where they questioned what I'm doing. But I've always said this to them, to my friends, to David, my manager. I have the mind of a producer. I know what makes good TV. And a lot of the stuff I did on Slopes Go Dating and other shows was kind of thought about. But executed in a very natural way where no one would expect that I planned it. Well, look, Slopes Go Dating, you've got, right, let's break this down. Mm. you've got Rob Beckett's narration mm-hmm. you've got going into the agency and just the reception error with Tom that's a scene then you've got the therapy of Anna and Paul then you've got eight celebs doing those things eight celebs who have narration eight celebs who go into the agency eight celebs who have Anna and Paul eight celebs who go on a date at the end of the day you need some airtime you know as well you're only as good as your last show people bookers on other shows are going to watch that and go right I want him for our show if you're going to get lost in that then what's the point you yeah. need to make your stance. Yeah. And I think that, again, comes back to my ambitious nature, what I'm like as a person. I'm super competitive. And that just stems into when I do reality TV shows, there's no difference if I'm competing in sports day at school, wanting to be number one, or if I'm doing a reality TV show, or if I'm in the office, writing my column uh, for the Daily Star. I want to have the most clicks. I want to have the most people reading my articles. It's always wanting to be on top. So yeah, you're totally right. When it comes to doing reality TV like Slopes Go Dating, I want to be the standout star. And I thought I delivered that. And I had a lot of people saying that I was. I'm not going to blow my own trumpet, but I thought I stood out the most compared to the other celebs. But I would never enter a show not believing that I could be on top. I wouldn't do a show if I thought there's a chance someone else could exceed me. That's what I'm like. 
Right, so you've spoken about your values. You've spoken about the struggles you had with coming out. Yeah. So bringing that together with what you've just said, how validated do you feel in society? And how much do you chase that validation and that acceptance? Because you have to be on top. Yeah. You're being validated by the numbers. But that will get taken away at you. You can only be number one for one point of time. You know, Rihanna, uh, when she did Umbrella, was, I think, seven weeks at number one. Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do It For You, was number one for 13 weeks in the chart in 94, I think. Yeah. It still had to be another singer came across. Yeah, yeah. So how important is it for you, Ryan, to be validated? I totally agree. Can't always be on top. Gave those examples. I mean, it's impossible to always be number one. There'll be someone else that comes out and... They might be a better singer, for example, with a better track, and it hits the charts, and it's number one for 100 years. But the thing is, with me, I don't always... Yes, of course, I appreciate I want to be number one, I want to be top of the leaderboard, but I also cherish memorable moments. So if I'm doing a show, I also get a lot of validation from being remembered. So, for example, I didn't win The Apprentice, so in that regards, I wasn't number one on The Apprentice because I didn't win. But, but you did win. I won maybe the hearts of the public. No, you, but you won the career. Yeah. You know, Karina, no offence to her, hasn't done much more since. Thomas has done a little bit. Obviously, he's got his friendship with Ryland. Lottie, obviously, has had a presence. You're the winner of that series. You're the one who came out. Same as our friend James Max and season one and Cyber Khan. They came out with the career, forgetting who won that year. Yeah, I totally agree. So, yeah, I mean... What you just said is right, and I agree with that. I think, I sound, I don't want to sound egotistical, but I think I did win that series when you think about it like that. But in terms of maybe business, I didn't win. But that's where I kind of differentiate the validation because I could feel less validated because I didn't win the, the competition, ultimately, and I'm a loser. If you want to think about it in sort of linear terms, black and white, I didn't win. I was eight, I think, out of 16. So... I didn't even come into the top five. But then if you think about it in the sense of building a TV career, I would say I'm number one. And I do gain and seek a lot of validation from success in that way and people liking me. And that might come down to the issues I've had with my sexuality where perhaps I felt that it could hinder me in some way, that people might judge me for being gay and see me as less compared to other people so though so by doing shows and coming out on top and being remembered and doing more shows and earning more money and just becoming more notable that kind of distinguishes any fear I've had before about my sexuality in terms of that invalidating me not completely Mm. but on the flip side what's those dopamine levels like how do you do when those numbers start going the other way. So the clicks have happened and straight away you've done a click. You know, you've done Good Morning Britain in, in the morning. Yeah. And let's say the debate is at 7.30 in the morning. So it goes online at 8.30. Between 8.30 and 12.30, it gets 100 likes, 1,000 likes, 10,000 likes, 50,000 likes. And then it peaks and then it starts going the other way and no one is clicking anymore. How do you deal with that? Are you conscious of why is no one cleared? I need to share it again. I need to retweet. I need to delete it and redo the tweet. Yeah, I think like that all the time. I think what's gone wrong, if I anticipate something, even on TikTok, if I make an amazing video on TikTok and it only gets, I don't know, 10,000 views, like what has happened here? This is an absolute failure. So what I often do is delete the video 
because I'm too ashamed by the stats. So yeah, I need to have good numbers or something that validates what I'm doing to prove that I'm successful. I think I'm always chasing success. And I was talking to Nikita about this as well, because again, Nikita and I are very close. We speak every day on the phone. And I've said this to plenty of friends. I'm never truly happy. I think it's never going to change. People have tried to talk me out of it. People have tried to dissuade me from thinking like this. It's never going to change. And I don't really want it to change, if I'm honest. I will never be satisfied with anything. Because some people in my position, I've just turned 22, they might be really happy. I've just done lots of social media campaigns. I've just done celebsky dating. That might be enough for some people. But for me it's never enough because I look at someone younger than me, maybe in America, in Stranger Things, and they're making millions of dollars and they're more famous and they have millions of followers. So I look at people like that and think, well, actually, I'm a bit of a failure. I that is literally how my mind works. I think, I can't, I can't be doing that well. They've got 10 million followers and they're two years younger than me. What on earth is going wrong? So I'm never satisfied. It's never enough, never, ever, ever enough. So I'm constantly chasing, constantly working, but that's what ultimately makes me happy as well. That was Ryan Dash Mark Parsons. My thanks to Ryan Dash Mark. Also, thanks to Nikita Jasmine. Can we just thank her as well? The fact that she's had all these conversations with Ryan Mark. Because without her, she wouldn't be he wouldn't be here. Um, you've been listening to Security and Security with me, Johnny. So if you like what we had, please do go on Spotify, give it a five-star rating. On Apple iTunes, it's a five-star rating and a review. It's so important that we say it's okay to not be okay. As you've seen from Ryan Mark today, it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be happy. You don't have to deal with it. You can just go through your life with it. You don't need to sign up to therapy. Obviously, we always say, go get therapy. Go and speak to someone. But actually, it might be easier to deal with your emotions yourself. I'd love to know what you think. At Security and Secure Podcast is on Instagram, at Johnny Seafoot. On Instagram, on Twitter, DM me, follow me, blah, 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 blah. But more importantly, go on Security and Secure Podcast on Instagram. See all the 140 episodes we've had in the past. Go and see what every celebrity has said, because I bet you any money you'll be able to identify every single person because every single person has said in some shape or form it's okay to not be okay i've been johnny seaford you've been listening to security and security until next time thank you and goodbye Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.